Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to our table, but before we do, could you do us a favor and hit the subscribe button? And while you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Drip. Rob, it is a lovely day here at the Lee University campus as we record one more time. One more time. And, you know, as we're recording, I'm watching a tractor in our yard out here do some aerating. Anybody know what aerating is? I do, but I need to do it to my yard. I do, too. Maybe that guy can come over and do it for me. I got a, I got a shale pit for a front yard. <laughs> shit. I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, like you read the educate people later on shale. Yeah, okay. Like, that sounds like it's, a cuss word it's or a, a Hebrew word for hell. I'm not it's sure which a, word. It's, a, it's not a sheol pit. That's a different, <laughs> that's a different word. Uh, no, it's a beautiful day here on campus. And I think we have a great guest with us. Yeah, we do. We do. Before this conversation gets too sideways, let's introduce <laughs> Matt Swift, Swifty Perry, not to be confused with Matthew Perry of Friends fame. That would be a whole other conversation. But Matt is a campus pastor for Union Church in the greater D.C. area. Uh, he formerly hosted the Leader Swift podcast. They're really cool 15-minute conversations with local yeah. leaders we've had on our show. Uh, really passionate about leadership and helping others lead better. Uh, so welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. Feel so honored to be on the Leadership Drip. Hey, so I have a completely irrelevant question to ask you. So I want to know how many times in your life somebody has walked up to you and said, no one told me life was going to be this way. <laughs> uh, they don't sing the song, but they say, oh, like from friends, probably a couple times a week. Yeah. Okay, it's what uh, That like. happened. My wife, that's her favorite show, though. So we went to the friends experience where you get to walk nice. in through it. And I definitely got a discount on um, an item she wanted to buy because I showed my ID. So I think awesome. I think so if we're just going to talk culture here for a second. You had you had friends and you had Seinfeld tribe, right? Kind of like you have the office and parks and rec tribe. Yeah, yeah. So so your wife obviously lands on the friend side. Are you a fan of either one? Like I mean, just... I, I I don't watch Seinfeld. I like I, I would like friends better, but I never got into I, I was more of a fresh Prince of Bel Air. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I'll pay you nothing to do the Carlton. Oh, the little considering, <laughs> considering we're only audio that makes it difficult, but that's, that's why I can pay him nothing. You can, you I, guys can save that clip. That's right. Save it. We're going to the gram. We're going to YouTube it. Put it on the put it on the reel. Yeah, as they say. So what what seems to happen so often for us, Rob, is another SoCal guy at the table. Matt, you come from SoCal roots, but you've gone via Phoenix and then now in the DC area. Tell us a little bit about your leadership journey, how you how you ended up on the East Coast from West Coast. Yeah, I mean, my leadership journey is uh, I've been in ministry since I was 18 years old. Um, four days after I graduated high school, moved to Sydney, Australia to Hillsong College for a couple of years. And that's really I got ingrained in the leadership culture um, because I just loved Jesus and I loved church. And that made me love leadership. Um and I probably failed very, very bad at being a leader uh, for most of my time as a leader, <laughs> right? That's where we grow and uh, moved back to Southern California, worked at a church, went to school, got my degree in theology and um, made my way to Phoenix as a youth pastor, was in San Diego as a youth pastor. Um, and then what brought me to people ask me, they're like, so what made you want to move to the East Coast? I said, I didn't want to move to the East Coast. I didn't know what Maryland was really. I knew Lamar Jackson and I yeah. knew that's about it. Um, I didn't know anything about Maryland, um, but God called us to Union Church to serve under the vision of Pastor Stephen Chandler. Um, and that was just clear as day to us when we came out to visit. And so I said, I don't think God called us to the East Coast. He called us to Union Church. Yeah, right. that's good. Now, we've had a few Aussies on the show, right? But I think you might be the first Hillsong Ministry School uh, person that we've had, at least uh, the one I that I know it. of. Um, I know I know of two personally, but I don't know of anybody who's been on the show that's been out there. Yeah. So what was that? I mean, coming out of high school, right? Obviously, you're Southern California. Like, it's a whole culture yeah. in and of itself, right? So yeah. you move to Australia. You're out of your context, out of your environment. You're in a fairly intense 
from what I understand from the Hillsong College, right? It's, it's a fairly intense program, right? So what were some of those early leadership lessons that you learned as a young student studying for ministry in a very specific context and culture that wasn't particularly your own? Yeah, uh, I, I don't personally think it was intense. I think it was as intense as you wanted it to be. Hmm. Okay. Um, because it, it's all about, I want to serve. Okay, let me start serving and working my way into what that means in leadership. Um, there's people who served five hours a week. There's people who served 40 hours a week. Um, so it was intense as you wanted to make it. Um, but for me, some of the early lessons I learned was just leadership is serving. Um, and I think we just make so much about platform nowadays. That's what leadership is. But leadership is the heart of a servant, yeah. you know, so I would be vacuuming the church until midnight because I wanted to serve. Um, I wanted to serve the church and I was figuring out every way I possibly could. It wasn't about a platform. It wasn't about trying to be the next insert name here. Um, it was about I want to serve the local church. That's what leadership is. And so can I just have opportunities to do that. Yeah. Good. I think what I really want to know is, did you get to meet Darlene check and sing shouts <laughs> of the Lord? Uh, not Darlene. That was a little before my time. <laughs> nice. That's, that's my time. That's yeah. what I did. Yeah. You'd be more Joel Houston, I guess. You just the, dated yeah. us so I, bad, Jeff. Like, listen, we've confessed our age many you know, times on this show. Our, our voices were young and hip until you Whatever. just dated us with Darlene Check, whom I love, by the way. the Lord is still the still Bro, a bop. Yeah. That yeah. is still a bop. I think more churches need to bring it back on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. The spirit would move, man. Uh, so what is out of this that was this experience at Hillsong College, you went back and you said you went into study theology, youth ministry. What has been sort of the overwhelming sort of takeaway in this leadership journey? Obviously, you said failing. We can talk about John Maxwell failing forward. Yeah. But but for really the struggle for young leaders, I think, is failing like they don't want to fail. What have been some of those important points where you had to kind of pick yourself back up and go, hey, we got to keep going forward after this failure? Yeah, I think too many people see failure as a period and not a comma. Um, even as I look through scripture, there is so many incredible God things that happened after a failure, right? The book of Psalms came after David and Bathsheba. And so I think for me, when it comes to failing and just picking yourself back up, it's about how you look at it. It's, it's so much about perspective. Oh, I failed. I messed up. Now, what am I going to do about it? Uh, I love sports. I always think sports analogies. It's like boxing. You get hit. You shake it off. You keep moving forward in that match. And so for me, um, if I failed, if if I didn't do what I was supposed to do, and then I would make an excuse of why I didn't get that thing done, I would just be like, okay, where, where do I need to tighten it up in me? Okay, this is probably a priorities issue. I really think most of leadership comes back to most people don't know how to lead themselves. That's they wild. don't know yeah. how to get up on their first alarm. They don't know how to eat healthy and follow a diet. Like all of that is inserted into most people cannot lead themselves to where they want to get to. So how are they going to lead teams and people to where they want right. to get to? Yeah. Yeah. Unpack this lead yourself. So what does that look like for you, Matt? Like obviously you said waking up first alarm, eating healthy. These are, these are things I think in church leadership, we're hearing more and more beyond it's like cultural leadership, but I think these things are weaving themselves in the church. Um, I, I don't know if you read this. Did you read Win the Day by Mark Batterson? Yes. Yeah. Mark Batterson talks yeah. about those things. Uh, we could take it outside of the church. Atomic Habits by James Clear. If you've not listened, listeners, if you've not read Atomic Habits, go buy that book right now. We get no endorsements or paid advertisement for this. <laughs> For this commercial, exactly. we for <laughs> so we listen to Craig Groeschel because that's all he talks about. That's all he yeah, talks yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Like his whole James show. Clear, he had James Clear on his show yeah. maybe two his, years ago. His whole show is about that. Yeah. So, but what does that look like for you? How does that practically play out for your your situation for your context? What does leading yourself look like? This has been probably one of my biggest leadership journeys that I'm still trying to figure out and going to drop some free resources to people this year on how to just lead yourself well. But um, I think that first starts spiritually, right? Um, I, I've, I There are so many times in ministry where I tried to do ministry without Jesus. 
yeah. where mm-hmm. waking up and spending time with Jesus was not the most important thing. It was, let me get up and answer these emails or get up and make it to the office for this and this without ever spending time with Jesus in the morning. Um, and uh, you're just going off of empty when you're doing that. So I think it starts spiritually. I think I think something every year I try and do is go through a celebration of discipline. Mm -hmm. to just make sure i am refocusing on the spiritual disciplines that i'm engaging in that um and so for me it starts there um and then it kind of just flows into how am i managing my time a game changer i read this year was 168 hours um i I believe her name is lauren vannerkamp um but it's essentially you have 168 hours in your week Um, And so I started to print out these calendars broken Mm. into every 15 minutes of your 168 hours. And how am I going to steward this? God asks us so much to steward things in our life, steward our time, steward our money. So I want to make sure I'm stewarding my time well. um, And that's keeping a a management of every Mm. hour I have in my entire week. And when I've helped leaders understand that, We've all worked in church, right? We've worked with volunteers, which are the hardest people to lead beside yourself. And um, something we've all heard is, I just, I don't know if I have enough time for that. So I'll pull out my calculator app and I'll be like, okay, how much time do you spend working? How much time do you spend with your family? And I'll just go through it. And we see that we just freed up 20 to 30 hours a week for a person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Like, oh. So that one task you did have time for, you're just scrolling on Instagram for 15 hours a week instead of this. Yeah. yeah. And probably nothing's, the most, wrong with, nothing's wrong with scrolling, right? Yeah, but, probably the most insulting thing that happens is on Sunday morning when I get that little notification on my iPhone saying, you've been on your phone seven and a half hours a day. And I'm like, what? How did that happen? <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that if you budget for that. Right. 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 And so for me, it has been really, how can I master my time? How can I master the priorities first? Um, and that helps me to leave myself so healthy when when I really know how to manage my time. Am I perfect at it? No. Do things come up? Yes. Uh, that's just a skill I'm still trying to develop. And me and my wife sitting down and me saying like, hey, we're going to fill these calendars out <laughs> to make sure we're on the same page because I need to have a healthy marriage to have a healthy ministry. Mm-hmm. That's part of leading yourself well. Yeah. yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts. Number one, um, a friend of ours who's been on the show, Adam Weber, He, I think he just launched or they're launching or working through uh, a campaign called 167. And it's about redeeming the other 167 hours, right? So the 168 is the hour, you know, that we spend with the Lord each day or each week or whatever at church. But it's, he, he does this thing called 167, which is, which I thought was a great concept. So it's really cool that you actually just mentioned it. I don't know if the origin is from the same place or the same thought or the same author or whatever, but, but I think, you know, the larger point is, you know, there's this conversation that is. Uh, deepening and becoming more pervasive of what am I doing my life in the other 167 hours of the week outside of my local church experience. Glenn Packiam, who also has been on the, on the show and and friend of ours, um, he said this morning, and because I've, I've been preaching this, that revival is happening in our generation. It just doesn't look like any other revival we've ever seen. And Packiam said this, I believe it was this morning or yesterday. He said, Uh, The revival that we will see will sweep this generation. It will basically restore churches, but it will not be a reclaiming of what once was. It'll be a laying down of everything that is. And so I think, I think in that, in that essence, in that thought, um, what Packiam is saying, and I think what we're saying is this, this self leadership piece, the disciplines, the, the ability to, the ability to see where you are, know where you are, know how to navigate it well. Like the the internal chaos, can yeah. you can you calm it? Can you right. can you yeah. uh, handle it? Can you tame it? Like all of those things. And I believe this is such a huge leadership piece beyond just I think what you are and what I am, what we are, mm-hmm. are academic students of leadership. You know. Beyond beyond the textbook. So, so a conversation we were having before we came on the air, Matt, and I'll ask, do you know your Enneagram? Yeah, I'm a three. Okay, a three. I'm a two, Rob is a seven. 
so like for those that know the Enneagram, you can kind of make sense of some of that. So as a two, you're the, the helper. The three is the achiever. The seven's the the adventure guy. Our personalities, like in this managing yourself, create either either superpowers or barriers to it. So yeah. as a two, my propensity is like if somebody has a need that needs help, my my proclivity, my my instincts are to go to them. And there are times I have to say no to people to say yes to myself. And I've had to like literally go, Jeff, that's okay. Yeah. Mm. And there are other times like for other people who have different personality types, they have to intentionally go, hey, I need to go serve somebody else. And so I think in managing yourself conversations, it's important to go, hey, first, I got to be self-aware and know right. how I've been to, to really sort of filter through this. And I love this idea that you're you're blocking or chunking time with that and saying, where's it going? It's like the same way with, with food or money. Like you got to know where it's going. Yeah. And so I think that's a valuable leadership asset. Um, now, what tool that, that came from the 168 hours book, the, the schedules? Yeah, and you can find it online. What I could do is I'll just share that link with you guys when we yeah. get off, and then you can maybe put it in show notes or yeah. something to help leaders. But I also think there's this difference. This is something I've been wrestling with. There's a difference between self-care and self-love. Yeah, yeah. And we live in a culture that's all about self-love when I think Jesus talks more about dying to yourself um, than he does. Everybody will use love your neighbor as yourself. That's really mm -hmm. the only verse. Um, and so this is something I'm just wrestling with. I'm probably going to write about later today, yeah. um, but I think there's a difference between self-care and self-love. And I think managing and leading yourself follows under self-care. I think when we let our ego get in and make everything revolving around us, that becomes self-love and that mm. can lead to narcissism and other unhealthy yeah, things. Point. Absolutely. Yesterday, I, I was kind of going through my own little prayer and devotion times yesterday. And this conversation between me and the Lord came up about idolatry, right? And, and the spirit said to me, he said, idolatry doesn't exist in some foreign land with a foreign people it exists very comfortably in your own house and in your own church. Yeah. And it's this whole concept about this almost nearly idolatrous relationship, which is the other side of the pendulum of good self-leadership, right? I mean, there's always these, these pendulum swings in these movements or in these conversations where like almost anything taken out of good rhythm, I don't like the word balance too much, but taken out of good rhythm can become idolatrous. And so we get idolatrous with self-leadership where our, where our protecting our time is more important than learning how to use our time. Or does that make sense? Like, yeah, absolutely. so, so in your thoughts, in your mind, like what is, what is the, the dangerous side of good self care? Like beyond just self-love that's, that's pride, ego, all of that stuff, narcissism, which you kind of mentioned, but, but how do we, how do we navigate the rhythm between healthy self-care and self-love like what are those indicators yeah that's a great question i think for me if i'm just looking at my schedule i'm like okay where am i inserting times to serve other people where am i inserting time to to go out of my way to serve my wife and i think it's inserting these blocks that are not about you um that are healthy i think when we look at what's unhealthy in it sometimes we can get just so focused about our goals our dreams are this are this that we miss out on helping other people with their dreams actually i think there's a difference sometimes between our dreams and our goals and god's plan for our life mm -hmm. and so it's spending that time with god and with healthy mentors in your life like okay what is god's plan for my my life does that fit in with some of my goals and my dreams um, but I, I, it goes back. I think we can even make our goals and our dreams sometimes our idol in our life. Um, yeah. If I don't accomplish this, I'm going to be, a, and that ties back into failure. Then I'm going to be a failure uh, at what I wanted to do. I can give an example of my wife uh, is a speech therapist. Her dream was to work her way through the career of speech um, in helping kids with special needs. And she's had to turn down some very high lucrative positions in Southern California because God's called us to move. Um, and that's been hard on her where she's like, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. 
Um, and she's got a cool project she's working on to come alongside churches and help them build special needs programs. Because mm. we want to see every church have a special needs program yeah. to serve people. But it's like she had to lay down her goals and her dreams because that's not what God had for her. God had for her um, is to create special needs programs for churches. And yeah. so she had to lay down uh, her career path to yeah. ultimately fulfill what God has called her to do. I think one of the lessons I've learned in life, and I think this this podcast testament, we talked about it, is the Lord has this really cool way of taking things that you pick up along the journey to use later on in life. Yeah. Like they just like somewhere along the journey of life, you'll go like, hey, that skill or that that talent or that gifting that I thought was was for something else. God goes, hey, I've got this purpose for it and this plan for it. That's that's going to get give give glory to him um and not us like so so i tell the story often that i started out um as a broadcast journalism major in college and we worked for a college radio station until i wrestled out this calling thing to be a pastor and preacher yeah like and it's so funny that that podcasting wasn't even a reality when i was working at the college radio station and here god's like hey i'm gonna put you back in front of a microphone it's just gonna be a different context Wow. And so I think sometimes God redeems things or restores things or uses things that are already in our hands later in life in ways we didn't know. Um, I think part of that comes from being willing to lay down the self self side of that. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be the broadcaster for the Cubs. Like that was my goal. God's like, hey, we're going to give you a podcast in 20 years. <laughs> Maybe if it was the Dodgers, that would have been part of God's <laughs> no, Go no. blue, baby. Listen, Go blue. Vin Scully was going to be there till he died. So yeah. let's just be honest about that. Go so. blue. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, recently had Chad Veach on the show. He's a Dodgers fan as well. So we this is good. Yeah, We've got some love, Pastor Chad. Yeah, yeah, we got some we got some go blue people on here. I'm sorry, Cubby fans. Sorry, we yeah. lose often. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think it's a great conversation. But I think it echoes a lot of what we talk about with young adults. Is hey, listen, don't get so fixated on what you're doing now that you can't see what God may want to do later. Right, that's great. Because yeah. it's it's about. It's really about the journey with him, not necessarily the destination that you're that you're going. Right. So everything is redeemable. Nothing is wasted in God's hand. Uh -huh. Every hurt, every pain, every failure, every mistake, every gift, every talent, every success can and will be used by God if we're willing to submit ourselves to follow him. Uh -huh. And that's it. Like that's and we said it on the show before, and I'll say it again because it's one of my my personal mantras. Obedience is our problem. Results are his problem, right? It's like mm, and if we if we learn to live in that space of followership, it makes it makes all the difference in the world. And I think it keeps it keeps us humble before him. And, yeah. and that helps us not slip into some of these other more narcissistic, idolatrous, pride-driven, ego-driven, platform-driven realities that we contend with in our culture. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I love what you actually just said about followership, because that's been something I felt convicted over the last couple of years is so many people love leadership, but yeah. don't understand followership. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to follow because we've created this culture where it's leadership, leadership, leadership. And that's the goal for so many people when God's called people to just be followers too. Yeah, to lead in some level, we got to lead people to Jesus. But I was talking to Manny Arango and uh, we were talking and he said, um, everybody wants to be a, like a number one. They want to be a senior pastor, a lead pastor, but they're called to be a two, three, four, five level pastor in that church. Yeah. Because we've exalted the leader of the organization or the leader of the church where it's made people feel less valuable if they were an executive pastor or a campus uh -huh. pa or the two, three, four, five yeah. in the chart. And we've, cre we've created the narrative culturally, not just within the church, but also within the broader culture yeah. that that is the objective that if you're not progressing towards that one seat, not even a one B like if you're not one a, then you're not excelling. Right? right. I mean, that's, that's the predominant narrative, but, but obviously that's not the kingdom narrative. Right. It's never been the kingdom narrative. And I think I think a good discipleship conversation on what it means to be a part of the kingdom helps us address a lot of those have to be one a leadership conversations. It's, it's not a new conversation. We it's go not scripturally new. and it's like uh, you know, the brothers are like, Hey Jesus, can we sit on the right and the left? You know, 
And I wonder if Bartholomew is going, hey, like, where do I get to sit? Yeah. Like, we don't ever hear from Bart, man. Like, he's just chilling Where's, somewhere in the story. Where are you at, Bart? Yeah. So I think it's not a new conversation. I think it's no. always been a, a struggle. And it's one of, like, you're around, you're around young leaders as much as we are, Matt, and you interact with them. That seems to be the trajectory they live on, especially on social platforms. They're trying to, they're trying to, for lack of a better word, go viral in some way in this platforming themselves and Jesus at the same time. How do we help them be, be energetic and slow sometimes slow to gain wisdom and sit in leadership before they get ahead of themselves? Yeah, I think part of it is the theological issue, right? I feel like in just what our staff is going through at union, um, we're really learning how to be sons in sonship. And yeah. what does that mean? Uh, what's it mean to just sit as a son and to learn from a spiritual father? Yeah. And, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. That terminology was never taught um, like a lot of things. But um, I just think there's so much power in it's not about me doing all of these things. It's okay to just sit for yeah. a second. It's okay to just get poured into, like you have to be getting poured into. I, I really think we do have a discipleship issue. We have people mm. who are leading teams who are not being discipled. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I think it goes back to those roots of what's it mean to be a son? What's it mean to be discipled and to be pastored? Um, yeah. We yeah. live in a culture where pastors love to pastor, but not be pastored. Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of younger pastors I've, I've met with. And so I think it gets back to that. Who's pouring into you? Like, where are you just sitting under somebody and getting poured into? You don't have to go plant a church straight from youth ministry. And, um, that's not the only way to do it. Um, even though there's a lot of great young leaders who are planting churches now. And, and I love, um, and that's my desire one day, yeah. Yeah. but it's okay to just sit under for, for a while. Yeah, and I think what we found with with really good young leaders we're in conversation with, they they have a lot of really good wise voices in their life. Like there seems to be disparity. Like the ones that we're talking to who who have mentors, like they are growing and and able to sit at the same time. And we talk to other ones who like like no, I'm just going after it, and nobody's gonna tell me what to do. And like oh, you're gonna crash quickly, and we watch them crash quickly. Because they're not, there's nobody, they're not a son or daughter to somebody. Um, and I think that's a critical component. Like, I listen, and we've talked about it. I interned for free for two years at a church when I was in college. Like, nobody paid me. I think I got lunch twice, maybe, you know. <laughs> um, and there was a lot of sitting and a lot of serving to get to where the God opened the door. I think sometimes leaders, especially when they're they're driven leaders, they're so quickly to want to get to the position that they don't serve and they're not a son. Um, I don't know how we slow that down. I don't know how we go, Hey, you're gifted and talented. You shouldn't make money at this right now. Um, but it's a conversation. I think we need to figure out, especially in this conversation revival. Yes. Yeah. I think there's going to be some positions and re when revival really breaks out in America, there's gonna be a lot of positions that aren't paid. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's this, it's this kingdom tension of urgency. Mm-hmm. Right. Urgency and and development like it's it's this kingdom tension between hearing God's voice, listening and moving when he says and this also this feeling of it's got to happen right now. Right. So I think I think this tension is something we need to help young adults learn to live with and live in. Right. So, I mean, because we don't, we don't want to crush creativity like this is the most creative entrepreneurial generation right. that's ever lived. Like our goal is not to crush that. Like we don't want to, we don't want to stomp that out mm -hmm. because that's their divine DNA. That's part of what God has created yeah. in this generation. But how do we help them sort of channel it? How do we help them sort of cultivate it? How do we help them nurture it? How do we help them like incubate it? Like that's, that's kind of the, the big conversation that we're having. So the question may be, because listen, pastor Stephen Jaylen, phenomenal leader. How was he, giving space for the campus pastors at union like you to have some voice, to have some creativity, to have some input into what's happening and manage and, and steward that well. Yeah. I mean, he's allowed us 
blessed to be the senior pastor of our campus. You know, everything falls under vision. It falls under the culture. And um, I think going back real quick is so many leaders don't know how to be submitted. Right. Um, yeah. And and so for us, it's we work with the associate pastors who's helping create strategy from a central level. Um, our executive pastors are leading us and pouring into us. Um, and so is Pastor Stephen, but we're under his vision of what God's doing. Um, and so for us, we're able to lead and pastor people. Uh, you know, we hold, we walk with an authority on our campus of we're, we're the pastors of this campus. Um, if a play has to change, we make a decision real quick to better suit our people. And then we fix it throughout the week type of thing. But when it comes to just our role and responsibility, he's given us the authority at our campus to lead it. Um, and, and so for, for me, it's just been pastoring people, walking with them, helping create a space on a Sunday uh, that fits culture of, of helping people uh, find and follow Jesus. Um, yeah. And so for us, there's been, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're under, but we've also been given authority. Yeah. So uh, I come from a multi-site paradigm, you know, um, soon, I think in a couple of weeks or so, we're going to have uh, Dr. Warren Bird on the show, who's yeah just a phenomenal you know, multi-site, you know, researcher, educator, like he's, he's amazing. Um, and you're in a multi-site model now. And, and I love this conversation in particular because uh, the multi-site conversation, you know, pretty much all of them are working, right? There's, there's genuinely almost no model that isn't working um, outside of, you know, some, some financial or, or whatever. But the point is like for you, and, and I like this conversation about authority to make changes but you're under accountability of leadership and vision and mission and uh, values, DNA based conversations. Right. So, so for you in that context, I mean, how do you see kind of in the multi-site realm? I don't know if you guys are video based or if you, you do live preaching or whatever, but uh, for you, what is, what is the real benefit of kind of this nurturing multi-site model? Yeah, we're video based. Uh, and it works great. I mean, you get very few complaints, right? But when right. you go, everybody, when they go to a campus, 99% of the room is looking at the screen. Yeah. If they're at live. So that's why it works. Um, but going back to your question is why, why it works, right? Why is multi-site work? Yeah. I mean, for you, like, what are you seeing? Because multi-sites aren't new. They're, they're about 30 yeah. years in, like, genuine multi-site models are about 30 years in, right? So yep. uh, is this, is this your first experience in a multi-site or were you multi-site? No, okay. Multi okay. Yeah. So, so you, you've got, you've got some good experience, right? So the multi-site model, and I'm not advocating for or against it. I'm just trying to help other leaders who are listening, maybe get a better understanding of why it's working so well with so many churches in so many places. There's a, there's a, there's, there's something happening in the multi-site realm. Now, I don't know if we've got our finger on it yet, but it's good, right? I mean, it, it seems to be working. So from your perspective, like, what are some of those key things that you believe help multi-sites function well? Yeah, I think some of the key things is we live in, in the DMV area, which is really spread out. So for us, I have people from D.C. coming to my campus. They're not driving an hour to an hour and a half through traffic to get to a Baltimore location. Right. Um, and so why it works is it brings a church that people love close to their house where it's less of a drive. Um, and it's the same. I tell people all the time, like it's the, this is the same church. Like literally it looks the exact same, except for you're watching a screen, which if you were at the main broadcast location, you'd be watching a screen mostly anyways. Yeah. So I think that's why it works is most of the churches that are multi-site um, are incredible churches. Uh, I'm, I even think of like one of the first multi-site churches with North Coast um, with Pastor Larry Osborne. Um, and they work well because they're churches that are ran well, that, uh, that are appealing to people. And it just makes it easier for people to get to instead of driving an hour, two hours to be able to get to. And so it brings it to them. And um, I know people will 
disagree too of why the multi-site model is not healthy, but if the church is about the people, um, that's what it's about. And so we've created where you get to listen to the same message, um, but you get to do it in community with other people. You get to serve people walking in. And uh, we've seen multi-site be extremely successful uh, just where we're at. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it's going to go away. Yeah. I mean, I think in the urbanization and where we see, that's where we see a lot of multi-sites. That's, that's the the point. Like when you're three miles from another campus, but it's a 30 minute drive, you know, that's where it starts to make sense. Yeah. You know, we're our little community, three miles is, is four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but multi-site, I'm not saying multi-site couldn't work here. Like there's some churches that I think of here in our local community that have the resources to put another campus on another side of town. We're sprawled out enough in our county that that that's possible and can be effective. It's a, it's not thought it's not thought about. I don't think here locally in the community we're in, not where we're at. And I think I think population density is a big one. I mean, yeah. this is now this is a really nerdy academic conversation, right? Because we're talking about brand promise, value proposition, multi-site models, franchising, like the whole nine yards. Like this is. You know, but but it all stems, I believe, from from good vision, good leadership and healthy, healthy leadership realities. Right. Because you cannot multi-site well if you don't have good, healthy leadership. Right. From the yeah. top down, it, it just doesn't work. So as a non multi-site guy, I've not served in one, but this is my perspective outside looking in what the multi-site seems to do. And you guys can both answer this. It seems to multiply leadership. Where like if you're at a single site, you have one worship team, you have one pastor, campus pastor, executive pastor. The multi-site model seems to multiply leadership opportunities. Is that true? I, I would agree. Yeah, it, I would agree. It makes it harder at the same time because that's more leaders you have to raise, more leaders you have to have. Understand culture is the most important thing, yep. I think, because you can bring in leaders or raise up leaders. And we all probably agree raising up leaders mm -hmm. is the best that fit culture. They've been there. They know it's just getting them to the level to lead with excellence at that level. But yeah, it definitely multiplies leaders in your, in your church. Yeah. Cause it feels like, and again, I'm thinking locally in some of the context of the large churches in our community, there's a lot of great leaders who seem to sit on the bench a lot and yeah. are not getting opportunity because because the bottleneck of, of just limited opportunities. So to me, it feels like the multi-site opens up spaces to send those people out and situate them it, somewhere else. It, it does, but your your leadership pipeline has to be has to be stellar. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be amazing because you cannot launch a campus with nothing. Right. Right. I mean, so you have to have a developmental system in place that allows other leaders to learn, to develop, to grow, to, to get the DNA, to understand the culture, to fall into alignment, which we've talked about a lot on the mm -hmm. show, alignment with the vision, the values yeah. of that local church, more than just agreement, right? Cause you're not going to agree with everything, yeah. right? If, if your pastor makes a decision that you don't agree with, okay, fine. But if you're out of alignment, that's a whole different conversation, right? So I, in, you know, turning this back toward to young adults, young leadership, I think we interpret disagreement as misalignment a lot. And so therefore we shortchange ourselves as, as young leaders, because we think because we're in disagreement, then we have to go somewhere else or do something else, mm. but that's not the same as alignment. Right. And I think this conversation between agreement and alignment is, is critical for young leaders because you can fully be under the vision of a house, fully be under the mission of a house, be in total alignment, and not necessarily in agreement. And that's the learning space. That's mm -hmm. the, that's the humility space, right? That's yeah. right. I mean, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. That's where submission comes into. Yeah. Um, And we treat that word like it's such a bad word in our culture. Right. But that's really the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of humility. You know, Philippians chapter two, um, is my favorite chapter in all of scripture because it just shows who Christ is and what he's called us to do. And that's submit. That's to, to submit things to God as he's right. to his father. Yeah. Yeah. So these, these are, these are good leadership conversations, whether you're talking about multi-site or local church, because even if you're not a multi-siting church, mm -hmm. there's still a, a necessary process 
for creating and developing young leaders. And right. I think I think that's part of what Jeff and I are chasing with the show. That's part of what we've chased in our own yes. ministries is how in the world do we help young leaders grow and flourish where they are? Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, let me, how do, yeah. let me play the part of the guy again that's never been a multi-site. Because yeah. we have a lot of listeners who are probably in a church that are single service, yeah. single site churches. Single like pastor, single staff. Hundred, yeah, 150 yeah. church, 100 people, whatever. Um is one of the reasons people don't go to multi-site and they just keep building a bigger castle is that they fear this alignment piece. Like, like if I release leaders outside my building, mm-hmm. I lose control. Do you think that there's a lot of leaders who are afraid of that releasing that it gets wacky outside the house? I, I think so. My experience it is, and, and, and I'll use a Rickism here, you know, this I use a lot of Rickisms, but this is one that he told us as CPs all the time, campus pastors. You can't have both control and growth, right? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, there comes a point where you and, and Matt, you may you can jump in on this any point you want, but the goal isn't to be mega, right? Right. the 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 goal is not to be a mega church or a multi site church. The goal is to be a flourishing church within the community which God mm-hmm. has called you. Yeah, that requires you taking risks right at some level in the leadership development in the sending out of your people into the community. Yeah, no. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it feels like that's what you're saying about Pastor Stephen with you guys. Like like you have some some level of autonomy in, in your pastoral reach that if we need to adjust for our community, we have permission to do that. Is that sort of the reality of where you are in your campus? Like you have some some say so if if you need to adjust yeah yeah i think it's and it's an interesting partnership because you have central staff who is really helping develop strategy so mm-hmm. they're helping create plays i like to say i'm i'm we're more of system quarterbacks yeah. right there's great plays being called we run those plays but we have the authority on a sunday if that play kind of blows up okay let's pivot let's adjust and let's fix this through our system later this week type of thing. Okay. Um, and so we're more of like that system QB, think of Patriots in the 2000s, right? Yeah. And we're going to, the plays ran, we're going to run the play. But if there is times where the play blows up, all right, we're going to pivot. And I have the authority to make those calls. And then we'll go back throughout the week and be like, okay, okay why did this not work? Let's fix this problem. Why? And so it's really submission is a huge thing because even in trust i'm trusting our associate pastors over whatever area it is to create Mm -hmm. that play that's under culture and we're going to run that play because there's humility and there's trust and if it blows up we'll go fix it but here's how we're going to do it on a sunday yeah that's good all right so let's let's shift gears a little bit sorry we geeked out on the multi-site kind of conversation for a conversation let me let me put a pin right here because there's a lot of people who listen to our show and a lot of pastors who see the 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 success or they see the outcomes and we have no idea about the inner workings right so this is a good conversation for leaders who are going hey maybe we're moving towards multi-site or maybe i'm going to be in a multi-site model and shift to a, a new church so like like we don't get to look behind the curtain a lot of times yeah that's true so. That's true. All right. So, so another question we've said on the show 10,000 times, there's no greater opportunity than right now for young adults to begin to step up into leadership roles in the local church, right? Especially post COVID, like especially post, post the pandemic, right? Because so many churches for the very first time in their life, in their existence, embrace the idea, the concept or the possibility of a digital platform for doing local church ministry, big, small, 50 people, 20 people, 10,000 people, whatever. Like, so, so for you as a leader and as your church, maybe, how are you guys doing or taking very intentional steps and helping young adults find a place in your church to serve? What does that look like? Uh, What value do you place on it? Those kinds of questions. Yeah. I mean, for us, we have a million opportunities to serve, right? We have so many teams on a Sunday. For us, it's 
and I, this is the healthiest culture I've seen of come. We want to get you connected to growth track. Growth track is where you join a team. When you join a team, the layers of discipleship we have, people always ask me, Matt, how do I get pastored here? You know, most people at larger churches, how are they, how am I going to be pastored? Uh, Cause everybody comes thinking pastor Steven's going to pastor them. Um, and that's not reality, right? So how am I going to be pastored? I said, well, there's two ways you're going to be pastored here. It's join a group um, and join a team. And we've equipped all of our team leads, our coordinators, our directors, whoever they fall under to pastor them and disciple them and pour into them. Um, and same thing in groups. And so for me, uh, if, if we're looking at young adults, it's step up and serve at a church, figure out, let's go back to that beginning of the conversation, figure out your schedule, figure out like, don't not finish college because you just wanted to serve in church the full, full time, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like don't skip out on that paper that's due uh, because mm -hmm. you procrastinated to do. So figure out your schedule, lead that well, but find places where you can serve on a team at your church helping the church grow and giving value to it. When I was in Riverside, uh, I went to California Baptist University and um, where Pastor Rick Warren went. And so there, I, what I would do at the church I worked at is they would have a ministry fair and I would do the whole booth and everything. And what I would do is I would tell people, oh, what's your major? And they would tell me their major. And I was like, how can you use that to serve the church? I'll, I literally created on the spot internships yeah. That I would oversee where people can use their major to serve the local church. That's cool. That's a good idea. Like, what is your major and how can we plug you in? That's pretty smart. Yeah. I think that I think there's a, a disconnect. That's a great question because most people go, um, I'm a business major and they don't know there's business in church. Like, right. Like, or I'm a this or that, or I'm a human development. And they like, hey, there's all these children that need cared for. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you're basically a kid's pastor. Yeah, so, basically. Yeah. You know, and so that's what I really encourage churches. I'm like, okay, find out what your people, your young adults are passionate about and create a space in the church. If you don't have a space, create a space for them to, oh, you're studying psychology. Would you actually come in and can can you meet with some of our pastors on our staff every yeah. i believe every pastor every person needs to go to a therapist um and so how can we create these systems in our church for young adults to use their gifting and skills to serve and if you don't have a space create a space yeah and i think the the pushback not the pushback but the the other side of that conversation comes for the senior leaders of the executive leaders to go, Hey, we've got to be creative too. Like, like you can't just like have our four or five boxes and be like, Hey, we got to make you fit in this box of group leader, coffee maker, worship yeah. leader, whatever, but have capacity to go, Hey, we need to be creative in how we approach this because the body needs more than just what we can create, like currently have in church. Oh, absolutely. Like the body's like big with lots of gifts and lots of skills. And we can't keep trying to shove people into the boxes we have and be like, I don't know why you're unfulfilled as a group leader when your calling is something else. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But that, that takes the risk, right? That's, right. that's the risk and the resources that we're often, often as leaders, myself included, mm -hmm. unwilling to part with. Right. It's it's reputation. It's professional career. It's uh, it's uh, social collateral that we have in the right. local church. Like if we start a ministry that's based on psychology in our local church, like what impact is that going to have? And those are all very respectable questions as a leader. Mm -hmm. So we're not knocking that. We're just saying, like, you have to determine your level of risk assessment that is tolerable. Like, yeah. But there has to be risk. You know what I'm saying? There has to be innovation. There's got to be development. I don't know. That's a good no, good point. So, okay, we are uh, we're getting close to time, bro. And uh, we want to ask you one last question that yeah. we ask all of our guests on the show. Okay, and it can be silly, it can be amazing, it can be whatever. But the point is, uh, final question we ask everybody on the show is: What is one lesson that you learned in college? that did not take place in the classroom. One lesson I learned in college that did not take place in the classroom. I would say, I would say it, it's, it's that serving. Um, 
it's what I said earlier. It's it's not about a platform. It's about serving. Yeah. Um, and that was not in a classroom. That was just from doing. It's it's about serving people in whatever leadership capacity you're in, whether that's the marketplace, whether that's the church, whether that whatever you're listening about, it's it's about serving people. Um, and that gets exhausting. That gets tired. We come home and we're like, oh, I just need to get away from people. But it is not about a stage. I, I talk to people all the time. And the first times I, you know, when I really wanted to grow in preaching, it wasn't me on a stage. It was me at home writing messages, recording myself playing them back or me going to uh, an old folks home or just a place to go preach a message to. It was not on a platform or a stage. And I think the biggest thing that I would just encourage people, the biggest thing I learned is it's about serving people and we can't get tired of, of serving people. I think the pastors who get the most burnt out are the ones who lost sight of serving. Mm-hmm. lost sight of the heart of it's not about the stage mm-hmm. it's not about what podcast you're on it's not about the books you write it's about the people that you've served and i think we've all heard this as pastors it's not even about the messages you preach it's about the people you serve because people aren't always going to remember your message but they're going to remember the the way you served them right I, I think more often than not i've served my way into space like just like started started at the bottom, you know. Like I don't know which rapper said that, but started at the bottom and <laughs> sort of served my way like up. Was Eminem, maybe right? I don't maybe. know. It sounds maybe. like Eminem. One. Pastor Chad was quoting Fat Joe, so <laughs> I feel like that's. <laughs> <laughs> that what, was, what was the other guy he quoted? I don't know. Waka Flocka, Waka Flocka. That's like Waka Flocka, bro. Yeah, that's hilarious. That yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll get back on track here. Matt, it's been such a joy, man. We we know we've been connected on socials for a while, but it's good to sit down and talk with you. And this has been a great conversation that I know our listeners are going to benefit from. So as we always say, say here on the Leadership Drip, you have a seat at the table. Thanks for being on. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks, bro. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. If something from this episode helped you lead better, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may share it to our channels. We appreciate you taking time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.